Welcome to episode 231 of Friars on the Farm. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. How's it going, Donovan? Well, you know, I'm just sitting out. In, I'm actually in a hotel room right now. We're uh, <laughs> having some um, impromptu uh, home renovations due to uh, a leaky pipe in the wall. Um, so I'm in a hotel room waiting for spring to start. Man, it sounds like you and half of San Diego's in that thing Like by going with the, what's on the news. Uh, yeah, it, it's um well the, the the storm should be coming here in the next few days, but everyone, I think all Padre fans right now are just kind of like going tip 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 like do something, um and it's getting close to panic time a little bit. I I I, oh, I don't not panic time, but like mildly concerning. I mean, Eric Hicks just came off the board uh, yesterday, and that was a guy you're like, I mean, okay, okay, and all of a sudden we're like, damn, we could have got that guy. Watch him be an all-star. Yeah, and then, and then uh, what was it? Uh, Minnesota and the Mariners make a trade, and people were looking at Minnesota like, oh, hey, maybe we can get one of their outfielders. Sounds like that might not be the case. Well, hey, we do have some stuff to talk about, though. Yeah. So we've got the the list of non-roster invitees was announced. Um, and then we have a great interview with Jeremy Sneed, the director of public relations for the San Antonio Missions. Yeah, so big, it's not all it's not all bad, boring, lame, humdrum stuff over here, Friars on the Farm. No, no, the minor league stuff is going great. We have tons of stuff, and we have tons of stuff coming up in the future as well. But first, guys, go to Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a review on Apple. Uh, you can also follow us on X, on Instagram, on Threads. We now have a YouTube channel. I have posted all our off-season interviews there. Any interviews that we have in the future, uh, we'll be posting on there. Any uh, video I take from, from games that I go to in the storm, I'll be posting on the YouTube channel. Um, we also have new new opening music that was thrills by video in the trees. Uh, they're friends of the they're friends of ours and uh, they're really fantastic. Check them out on Spotify if you want to catch them live. Catch them live February twenty third at the Template in Ocean Beach. But let's get on with it. We have some really exciting. Like I'm stoked for these uh, for these non roster invitees. Yeah, the, so the Padres announced their non-roster invitee list. Um, a lot of people that we expected to see and a few surprise names on here. Uh, so I'll just run through the whole list and we can kind of re react after each group. So right-handed pitchers, there are 12 of them. Lake Bacher, Ryan Bergert, Drew Carlton, Giovanni Cruz, Matt Festa, Nick Hernandez, Kevin Copps, Moises Lugo, Adam Mazur, Tommy Nance, Drew Thorpe, and Nolan Watson. Uh, who sticks out to you there? Well, you know, the guy, our guys, well, hey, Lake Bacher might have a really good chance to crack the bullpen. A long time uh, Padre. Um, I, I'm just, he, he's one of those guys, I think he was drafted like the 13th round and just stuck with it and got better. Had a really good season last year um, and has a really good chance of cracking the bullpen. Um, Ryan Bergert, you know, a lot of the guys we've followed this last year, Ryan Bergert and, and Adam Mazur. Um, getting big league invites. And, you know, this isn't to say that they're going to be making the squad out of spring training, but what it's going to do is going to get eyes on those guys for the in front of the whole major league staff and get those guys used to being around other major leaguers and getting major league instruction. Um, obviously, the, the Drew Thorpe, I think, also sticks out. Um, just traded it here from, you know, with the Soto trade. Um, who sticks out to you? Well, so no, absolutely. So I wanted to point out that actually a few of these names might sound new uh, if if people have been paying real close attention uh, because the Padres actually signed four righty relievers to minor league contracts just in the last week or so. Uh, so Bacher and Hernandez were both minor league free agents after the end of the season. They were both brought back just this last week. Uh, and Nick Hernandez 
probably sounds familiar because he made it to the he made his major league debut last year. Uh, so great story for him. Glad to see him back to get another chance. Uh, and then Matt Festa, he was a reliever in the Mariners organization, uh, and he's made big league time in four four years, 2018, 19, and then 22 and 23. He's got 89 games of major league experience under his belt. Um, so he's somebody definitely to watch. Uh, so the next li- list here, uh, left-handed pitchers, Daniel Camarena, Ryan Carpenter, Austin Krobe, Javian Sandridge, and Robbie Snelling. I mean, that's a that's a really solid group right there. Yeah, absolutely. But the, go back to the Rainers real quick. Kevin Copps. Um, Kevin Copps, you know, a couple of years ago when he was drafted, they were like, oh, he'll be in the bullpen this year. Um, and he struggled in his first year, had a much better year last year with uh, with improvements in command. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he is come spring training and, and how far he has gone uh, in the offseason to, to maybe even crack in the roster. Uh, maybe not out of spring training, maybe out of spring training, but certainly during the season. Uh, to go back to the lefties, I mean, Slamarena, I, I think he's just, he's probably going to be a coach at some time, and he'll probably be a coach in, in our system because he just keeps coming back. I mean, he pitched in double A. The year before that, he was in, in El Paso. Last year, almost pitched exclusively into um, in in San Antonio. Uh, Austin Krobe, I thought was a little bit of a surprise, um, as well as he did, and we love him. He's a friend of the podcast. Um I was surprised to see him make it, but I'm stoked. Like he's another guy that is starting now, but might be um, might be well suited more into the bullpen. Uh, and then, of course, you know Robbie Snelling. Uh, he's just going to be Robbie Snelling for for sure. Oh yeah, and, and then Javian Sandridge. He's the lefty that they picked up from the Cubs uh, as a minor league free agent signing early on in in the offseason. Sounds like a really electric guy if they can just figure out how to find his command. Yeah. Um, and then the infielders. I was happy to see this first name, Marcos Castagnon, uh, and then Mason McCoy, uh, Jackson Merrill, Nick Mondu, uh, Graham Pauly, and Tyler Wade. So a lot of versatility there, uh, but happy to see our guy Castagnon get called yeah. up. I, was, I wasn't sure if he was going to be part of big league spring training this year, so I'm happy for him. Absolutely. Well, also you got Tirso Ornelas, Calvin Mitchell, Oscar Mercado, uh, Robert Perez Jr. Tirso Ornelas, I think this is almost a put up or shut up year for him. Um, to make the big league roster and and you know make something of himself really, uh, you know with Castagnon and and Jackson Merrill obviously he's gonna more than likely make his major league debut. He was there last year as well as a major league invite. I think this year is much more um, show us what you got and 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 I think he's gonna come into camp ready to fight for a position. Uh, certainly, um, you know, Grant Pauly and Jacob Marcy, they're, they're the future as well um, to see how they hold up in a major league camp. These guys are going to get, a, you know, they're going to get shots against major league pitching. They're not going to come in in the fifth or sixth inning uh, as, you know, seeing, you know, double A high, just kind of some random pitcher. These guys are going to see some major league pitching for sure. You know, and so we've had candid conversations with Marcos and he seems so relaxed. But when you see when you see him on the field, he's locked in all the time. He's really a gamer, plays wherever they want him to play, and he's yeah. always ready. Uh, so I think he's going to impress some people there. Um, and then we skipped over the catchers, uh, all familiar names. 
Kevin Ploiecki, Ethan Salas, and Chandler Siegel. I think that's an interesting mix of you got the veteran with Ploiecki, yeah. who was with the Mets for all those years. He was here with El Paso at the end of last year. Um, Chandler Siegel has been in the Padres organization for a handful of years now, friend of the podcast, got his cup of coffee last year. I'm glad to see him back. Maybe he'll get another yeah. another serving. And then obviously Ethan Salas, that's been really the big news about all this. People are I don't know, surprised to see that he's getting the major league spring training invite. Uh, but just to see a 17 year old kid show up in spring training, like he's not like pulled up, you know, like the minor leaguers, they pull up some guys every day to play a game. No, he's going to be there the first day working yeah. just like everybody else. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear how he mixes in, how, how everybody kind of reads his maturity and his preparation and all of that stuff. Cause that's everybody says it's just off the charts. Yeah, I think he's really going to turn heads with, you know, and, and surrounding him with 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 Kevin Pilecki and Chandler Singer, who's been in the system for a while. He's going to do nothing but soak up that information. Uh, I, I think for for him, it's going to be a big chance to take a big step forward, and and to you know for the organization to really see where he is. They keep talking about him maybe making his debut in. I don't think this year certainly might make it in twenty five, but he is in an advance. They have him. They have him at a lightning pace. And it'll be interesting to see once he breaks camp, where he goes. Is he going to go down to high A or is he going to stay up in double A? Um, it's going to be very interesting. But these guys, all these guys are going to get major league at bats against major league pitching. And it's going to be fun to watch, you know, and instead of having to wait to the fourth, fifth, sixth inning, uh, even later to, to see some of these guys that we've had to in the past. We're going to be seeing them in the opening day lineup. Um, not opening day lineup, but, you know, the uh, in the um, – in the lineup in spring training. So it's going to be really fun. I, I thought it was interesting. So a lot of the minor league teams are starting to sell their single game tickets. And so the storm, they just had something up today, hyping it. And right in the middle of it was a picture of Ethan yeah. Salas. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, I don't know if storm fans can expect to see Ethan Salas much, if at all next year, he's probably starting off at a, at a higher level than, than Lake Elsinore. Unfortunate for us Southern Californians, but yeah. you know, good for him. Um, so there was one last point of news. So I, I mentioned that the Padres signed Bacher, Festa, and Hernandez. Uh, they also signed uh, Josh Robertson uh, to a minor league contract. They assigned him to El Paso. He was drafted by Miami in 2017, uh, traded to Tampa Bay in 2022, traded to Chicago in 23, the Cubs. Uh, but per Fangrass, this, this was kind of a funny quote. He has an upper 90s fastball, an upper 80s slider, and very little idea where either is going. <laughs> He's walked 13 to 15% of opposing hitters each of the last three years, but certainly looks the part of a good big, big lead reliever from both athletic, athletically and from a stuff standpoint. Um, so yeah, one of these projects that if they can figure out how to rein in that, that control yeah. just a little bit, somebody that might pop. Yeah, well, and and you know, there's nothing wrong with being effectively wild. I think there's a podcast about that. Um, the, it, you know, it keeps people guessing, keeps you on your toes, and if he can, you know, maybe throw a couple of wild ones and then get a strike in there, you know, he could probably get some punch outs. I don't know. That, but seriously, right, well, continuing our uh, our broadcaster front office series here as we take our trip through the minor league system. Um, next, we've got Jeremy Sneed, director of public relations for the San Diego uh, San Antonio Missions. I didn't really know what to expect with that title, director of public relations. But then once we started asking him about it, yeah. it's like I I forget that 
when you work in the minors, you just wear every hat that's yeah. that's on the table. Like whatever needs to get done, you pick it up and you run with it. So talking to him, he's like, yeah, I do interviews and I coordinate this and I write that up and I do this and I'm down on the field and I'm up in the stands and he's just all over the place. Kind of reminds me of what Dominic Lorenz was doing for the Storm a couple of years ago. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when you're in minor league baseball, you may have a title, but that doesn't mean you're sitting in the office. Uh, he's pulling tarps. He's everywhere. Those, And that's kind of the fun thing about minor league baseball is that you have, sure, you have your title of what you actually do, but during game time, during the season, you're doing all kinds of things because it's just all hands on deck all the time. And I think that kind of makes it fun um, being in minor league baseball because you do get to learn a lot uh, of everything. So you get your, you know, your hands in a lot of cookie jars um, and it's never a boring day. And certainly when the game starts, you know, it's just, Whatever it takes to have the fan experience and the players be happy um, is is what it is. And I really like talking to Jeremy. It was a really great conversation. He knows a lot about the organization. He's going very in-depth with uh, some of the guys that we talked about. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Hey, we're joined here with Jeremy Sneed. Uh, the director of public relations for the San Antonio Missions, Jeremy. First time, day your your Friars on the Farm debut. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. On a perfect uh, rainy rainy evening in uh, in wonderful San Antonio. Well, it rained like the Dickens last night here in San Diego, and I don't know if you saw anything on Twitter or on the national news, but uh, our city's not built for more than a quarter inch of rain, uh, and we sure, got like sure. three in some areas, and it was like. It was gnarly. It was really bad. Like I actually, I live in a, the part of the city where it floods out a lot in Mission Valley, and I had to. Um, I couldn't get across. Still couldn't get across because it's just flooding uh, through the San Diego River, and it's been a uh, been a. Uh, they I think they declared a national emergency or a or a citywide emergency. It was so bad. Bust out the boat and the paddles. You you'll see them, yeah, paddleboard is what they do here. Yeah. <laughs> I saw they somebody had a dog. They had a paddleboard and the dog was standing on the paddleboard as they're like wading through the water to get the dog out of there. And you guys just got done with the cold snap, yeah? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was that was loads of fun. Was yeah, with it being about about uh I think the lowest it got was like fifteen or sixteen degrees. Oh. And surprisingly enough, I I really don't have much like cold weather gear um, from from all the years I lived in Illinois. I didn't I didn't I don't know if I left it behind or what, but like I the coldest like thing I have is like an Under Armour sweater and like so trying to trying to stay warm. That's why that's why we grow this out in the winter time just to keep me keep me warm. <laughs> well, that kind of leads me to my first question. You're from Chicago, so you must be used to the cold, but apparently not. Somewhat. I'm, I'm a softy now. I've lived, I've lived in the South long enough now um, since, since 2019, really between San Antonio and, and Florida that when it dips below like 60, that's when I started, I started getting uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, well, that blood gets thin real quick. Yeah, bust out the be- bust out the beanie when it's 65 <laughs> degrees out. Well, yeah, I have no okay, shame so- about it. No shame about it. So let's dive into your background. You're from Illinois. You went to SIU. So you're a Saluki, right? Go dogs, baby. Uh, but then how did you wind up in, uh, in Tampa Bay? You were, uh, you were doing play by play down there, huh? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't take the conventional route. Um, I was, uh, I talk about this a lot with people like either that I meet in the industry or, you know, interns or whoever, like it's, 
crazy the different routes you can take in baseball, right? Like, so my my original dream and passion was to be a broadcaster. Um, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, we had you know Hawk Harrelson, who love him or hate him, that was my, that was my guy. Um, love Hawk. Hawk Harrelson, um, Pat Foley with the Blackhawks. Like, so I was surrounded by a lot of um, big name you know broadcasters, and so that was something I wanted to do. Uh, once I figured out that being a professional athlete wasn't going to be uh, the, the career path. So went to Southern Illinois. It was the only school I visited, only school I applied to. Um, did radio television, minored in journalism, uh, was able to do a lot of play-by-play, do a lot of TV stuff. Um, I was working full-time at a radio station by the time that I graduated. And once I lost that radio job, then I was like, okay, time to excuse me, figure out how to work in baseball. You know, that's what I'm like ultimately passionate about. Did some digging at the time. Didn't even know who the San Antonio missions were Um, as big a baseball fan as I was. It was, it's hard to know who every 200 minor league teams are at that time. So I was like, Oh, I've never been to Texas. They're double a, I was like, all right. And they were looking for, for a media relations intern. Didn't really know much about it at the time, but did some digging, thought I could do it. Um, and got fortunate enough to uh, to get hired. Um, my boss kind of had a similar background to me, so he kind of trusted that I'd be able to handle everything. And so packed my packed my car, drove down from Illinois after the internship, uh, drove back to Illinois, um, hit the hit the job boards, um, got hired as the broadcast intern with the Tampa Bay Rays nice. to help out with their with their radio department and. Uh, Packed up my car again, drove down, drove down to Florida, um, had a great three months down there. Um, and then, <laughs> then, then COVID happens. And, uh, so I, I, I say I was stuck down there, but, um, I stayed in Florida, uh, during the pandemic, just worked random jobs just to get by like, like most people did and, uh, kept in touch with the missions. Cause I found out that my boss with the missions had left, left. Uh, and had already taken a job as a police officer in Georgia. <laughs> uh, so knew there was a, knew they would need a guy. Right. And uh, so I kept in touch, said, Hey, I'm here in Florida. I'm not tied down to anything. Um, I'll gladly come back if you guys, you know, if you guys would have me, like if you need me to interview, whatever. Um, but major, but major league baseball and minor league baseball, they had no idea what was going on right. for the 21 season. Um, until oh, about- right. That's when the whole uh, the whole media, the whole uh, uh, contract, the labor contraction. What am I trying to yeah. say? Yeah, con- it was contraction, but it was that their contract when they realigned with- when they realigned yeah. everything. Right. So they so they were trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, meanwhile, I was my apartment lease was ending. I was out of work completely. Um, my parents were were uh, in the process of moving to Florida. Um, and finally, uh, had a, I was, I was working a job for a couple weeks, um, got an email from, uh, Dave Gassaway, our GM said, Hey, let's, let's have a chat. <laughs> um, and then he, uh, he said, can you start April 1st? We want you to be the director of PR. Um, you know, they told me at the time that it wasn't going to be, it wasn't full time right away. Cause they didn't know if the season was even going to, you know, right. be, be fulfilled. Um, but they said, as long as the season goes well, you know, everything, as long as everything happens, you know, you'll, you'll be here. And so did that. And here I am, what is it? Three, three years later, heading on to heading into season four. <laughs> nice. Okay. So we talked to people that are like general manager or broadcaster or that kind of thing. Um, 
director of public relations is a different title um, yeah. that maybe our listeners aren't familiar with. Can you give us a bit of an idea of just what the scope of your of your role is? Yeah. So with the missions, I kind of take on the public relations role and media relations. So I'm handling game notes. I'm handling uh, press requests, press releases, updating the website, um, posting starting lineups, in, uh, dealing with the players, dealing with the coaches, uh, dealing with the umpires, um, wow. handling mascot appearances, handling donation requests, um, keeping track of the media guide, making sure that that's published. Uh, the last few years, I've been in charge of our, our game day program that we hand out. Um trying to think what else I schedule press box employees, you know, the game day stringers, the line score operator, speed pitch, pitch clock, all that fun stuff. Um, it's minor league baseball. So you basically do everything, but right. you know, <laughs> play the yeah. game, pull, pull tarp when needed, you know, every, every, whatever, whatever anyone needs, you know, that's, we wear a lot of hats and that, but that's what yeah. makes it kind of fun, you know, compared to, compared to some other jobs that you might have in sports, you know, the, the fun thing with minor league baseball is you do get to, you do get to try a little bit, of, a little bit of everything. You know, let's back up a second though. You're uh, you grew up in outside of Chicago. Um, you're a South sider. That's right. Ooh. My, uh, my dad, my dad got converted. My, my grandma was a, was a diehard Cub fan. Wow. And my dad was a Cubs fan growing up, but okay, as the story goes, apparently my, my aunt's boyfriend at the time, my uncle now was a White Sox fan and would bri basically bribe my dad by taking him to all the giveaway days at Comiskey <laughs> And slowly converted him to be to be a White Sox fan, and that's was where, he old enough to go to disco? Was he old enough to go to di uh, kill disco night? Or that's a little <laughs> too early for you, right? No, that was yeah, that was <sighs> I think what seventy nine. Yeah, my like yeah. my dad was around like he was like eight or nine when when okay. that happened. But we still we still look back on that like man, that's a good thing we missed out on that. Give yeah, <laughs> so I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. I saw a, an article come across. Apparently, there's an idea to build a new a new uh, White Sox stadium in an area called the 78. Have you seen anything that's about right. that? Yeah, no, that's um, that makes me happy because as long as it keeps them out of Nashville, that's all that's all that I that's all that I care about right now. Because the the rumors keep going back and forth on them moving to Nashville in in five years, and if that happens, I've already I've already committed that I'm. I'm going to switch sides if they, if the team moves to Nashville, but as long as they, as long as they stay on the, on the South side, I'm in, but, but yeah, that, that area where they're looking at putting the stadium, they're going to kind of try to copy what the Cubs did for years, which is being able, people can be able to just take the train and get right off at the stadium and not have to worry about, about travel. Cause that's the toughest part about getting to, to a White Sox game is just, it's in such a weird spot that yeah. that traffic is nuts. And it's, it's similar to what like the Tampa Bay Rays deal with is sometimes it's, it's not that the fans don't want to go. It's just that it can be a pain to try to get out there on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night when the games are at six Oh five, seven Oh five. I spent well, and actually about 24 hours in Chicago for a wedding and okay. uh, and actually caught six innings of a of a White Sox game where they had a nice uh, Abreu uh, giveaway. There you go. It was pretty okay. Funny. So so Donovan, you've been to a, you've been to enough baseball stadiums. Yeah. What was your general honest impression of a, what do they call it? Guaranteed rate field. Now it was pretty. 
it was it was pretty generic. Um, yeah, you know, you, you go okay. out, you see the you, you know you see the uh, the Frank Thomas statue I think in center field. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't nothing spectacular, and I I wanted to like it. I mean, you can see the the skyline in the distance, so that was kind of cool. It is it's kind of out in the sticks, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, there was nothing. It was just a ballpark. There was no cool feature. Yeah. Um, so if they had a new stadium, they got to make it interesting. Right. Growing up, going to White Sox games were fun because they had the fundamentals area out in left field where they had like batting cages and like a little 40 yard dash area. So like as a kid going to White Sox games, a lot of fun as an adult. Now, when I go back to Chicago, I haven't been to a White Sox game in years, but I'm back home in Chicago. I go to Wrigley (laughs) because like why? You know, it's just because it's easier, and then and most of my friends back home are, are Cub fans anyway, so it's just easier to <laughs> easier to do that, and and nothing beats sitting in the bleachers out there too for for a nice Friday afternoon game in, in Wrigley. Yeah, and then after the game, you can you know, walk around the block and visit twenty different different bars and restaurants and That's stuff. Nice. I I had the similar impression that Donovan had. I went to a game there, I don't know, ten years ago, and it was. It, it was it, it was a nice clean new ish stadium, but it just nothing. It didn't have any personality. Yeah. So this, this lot that they have now, it's closer to downtown. It's right on the the river, um, and there's train tracks that run like through this property. So they can't turn it into residential development because of the noise. You got freeways all the way around it, which makes it great for transportation. It's like it checks off all of these boxes, and it's this piece of of just open land that's been sitting empty for. A hundred years, so it, right. I I, it, I would love to see that happen so that the White Sox could stay in in Chicago. Yeah, no, for sure, and really, like what I've noticed too with the White Sox seems like just the I feel like the food is good though there too. They have a lot of, not a lot of a uh, lot of different options, a lot of different options there. But but like I said, ultimately, I've always I've always liked Wrigley more than more than U.S. Cellular or Guaranteed Rate, whatever whatever they call it, <laughs> um, even as. Even as a White Sox fan, I don't. Yeah. I, I would always look forward to going to to Wrigley more. But well, when we're done with this, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet this to all the White Sox, uh, you know, <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Like, hey, we did a new. Nice they're, they're probably gonna <laughs> agree with us. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get some text from my cousins who are die diehard White Sox fans and call me a traitor, <laughs> but it's all right. It's all right. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. So back to what you do. Um, do you get involved in the interviews? Are you conducting interviews are you like organizing all of that yeah yeah for the for the most part uh i'm the main media contact uh with the missions you know uh, except for i mean certain circumstances um like sometimes it goes over my head but most of the time most of the time it's it's directly through me um you know even even when fernando tatis was rehabbing um when ethan solace joined us last summer um you know, I was kind of at the focal front of of trying to get all that stuff organized, um, dealing with the players. You know, whenever whenever um, somebody asks, you know, if they want to do something. Um, the fortunate thing for me, especially the first couple of years of trying to get trying to get acclimated to everything, was that the San Antonio baseball media market isn't as intense as right. other cities are, um, especially like Corpus and Frisco and uh, even Amarillo a little bit. Um, so even when we have a big name player, um, there's usually only a, only a handful of requests uh, to do interviews, or simply we usually just do a one big scrum, let everybody okay. get their get their footage, get their audio, and um, and then usually 
usually they call it a day because we pretty much only there's there's like one sweet spot in the summer when there's no Spurs going on, no Dallas Cowboys going on, and then it's like only us. Right. That's kind of right. like that's like that May to like mid June <laughs> where it's like, all right, let's focus on the on the missions. And then and then Cowboys training camp starts up and they're and they're like, Oh yeah, the missions are playing again. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned Salas and we've noticed that there haven't there hasn't really been much as far as interviews. There hasn't I don't think he's really had much media availability. I imagine he was kind of a different case because most players, it's like the 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 reporter comes and says, Hey, I want to talk to this person, I want to talk to that person. It's just a matter of does the player want to talk? But with Salif, I imagine the the Padres may have had some special rules because he's so young and they're just trying to let him get comfortable without all the noise of the media attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, Salas was his, his situation was, was very similar to having like a, a big time rehabber. Um, like, you know, the same, the same kind of treatment that we, that we gave Fernando and when we had Lance McCullers play against us um, that kind of heightened security and making sure that everything is planned out. Um, was elevated even more with Ethan, with him being 17 years old, with him being the Padres' number one prospect, um, with the kind of year that he had last year. Um, you know, Mike Daly was with us um, for a while when when Salas was there as kind of his liaison. Um, I got to know Mike pretty well through that time. Uh, he said, you know, if there's any media requests, go through me first. He's like, I might even just take the media request instead of having you know Ethan Ethan do it. Um, so just that kind of funnel system of, you know, don't like, you, like you said, you know, if, if it's like Jason Blanchard, if it's Chandler Siegel, those kind of guys, I can just go right to them. You know, Hey, are you free to do this interview? Do you want to do this interview? Um, but with, with someone like Ethan, it was talk to the Padres first. Let's see if they, if they even want to want to do it. Um, and then on my end too, it was kind of funneling out, you know, the people, cause of course people were coming out of the woodwork to right. be to say, oh yeah, Ethan's here. Let, I want to talk to him. And then it was kind of up to me to kind of give the Padres, you know, the the good candidates and the right. <laughs> the the uh, should I say not so not so good candidates of uh, of getting access to to Ethan. But but it's understandable. I mean, the kind of that that whirlwind that that kid was going through last year is is nuts. And so I don't I don't blame him for um, for being a little standoffish or trying to get, trying to just focus on baseball. I, I completely get it. Dude, at 17, I was sneaking behind 300 halls, smoking cigarettes in the occasional, you know, <laughs> right. you know, dude. Right. Um, you know, we got to know Mike Daly. We had him on the podcast a while back and, um, solid guy, man, just really, really easy to <laughs> talk to. Uh, really friendly. He, he, um, he was really good. He was a really good get as well. Yeah, no, it was it was great getting to know him, and and really for me, just getting to know anybody in the Padres front office and organization is always something I I enjoy. So let's get into it. You guys have a new ownership group, and right, you, have, you know, obviously with the with the big names with uh, Nolan Ryan and his son, um, how is that group in? And and is there you know we talked a little bit before we came on. Uh, what is the talk about? Maybe a new stadium? Any kind of renovations that that they may have? I doubt the renovations, but where are we with that? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how how many more eyes were immediately drawn to us once that announcement was made in in the end of twenty two that that designated bidders LLC was going to take us over. Um, we went from just being the the minor league team that was in San Antonio to 
to pretty much being kind of a big player, um, you know, especially with those names involved and, and even some of the names that might not stand out to, to some people. But then when you when you dig in, I mean, Bruce Hill is a part of the ownership group. He, he does. A, he's one of the uh, he does a lot with the San Antonio Spurs. Peter J. Holt, one of the min, uh, minority owners of, of the Spurs. He's a part of our ownership group. Um, Hope Andrade, former secretary of state. You know, just a lot of a lot of big names that that might even kind of slip under the radar, but they've been terrific um, under the old ownership. You know, and, and no fault to them, but they they weren't around all that much because they were based out of Colorado. So they uh, came around maybe maybe once or twice during the season, and when they did, it was strictly business. You know, so they you know wasn't we didn't really get a chance to to get to know them very well. And but under the new ownership, I mean, the core five. Um, the board of directors, they're, they're in, they're in town all the time. I mean, Reed was just in the office today, brought his dog with him. <laughs> um, so the owners, I mean, they come out to the games all the time. Um, you know, they were able to bring out Manu and David Robinson um, early on last year. Nolan Ryan came out to opening night. Um, so they, it's been great just being able to, to get to know them and they get to know us and it's just a lot more personal. Um, and it, it, you know, just nice to have them part of the family and, and of course, the new stadium is something that that they're um, that they're trying to work on. You know, this ownership group they're they're locally based, which is nice, and a lot of them have infrastructure roots in San Antonio. So that's that's just something they have more resources than than the other ownership group would have to try to get that new stadium built. Um, so they're trying. Um, the problem is there's just not not as much space as everyone seems to think there is. You know, it's it seems like an easy concept on on paper like hey just put a put a stadium in, in downtown and it's like oh, that'd be great but you know it's not it's not that easy so they're working on it um you know we we have to have a plan in place you know either either this year or i think it's before the 25 season okay um to make sure that everything's a go um as far as renovations go you know we're doing our best right now to just make sure the stadium's as as nice as possible uh we added some some bars, you know, some 21 and older areas at the stadium, uh, added some drink rails. Um, we're in the process of extending the, um, the foul net because that was part of the guidelines. Um, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on the stadium last year. You know, we're <laughs> just trying, trying to do as much as we can to make sure that, that when people come to the games, you know, they're having, they're having a good time uh, and just enjoying the stadium as, as much as possible. We put in a brand new video board uh, two seasons ago. So that's been nice. It's all digital. So that's been awesome. And like I said, just really trying to make sure that, that until the new stadium comes around, that yeah. people can enjoy the wolf uh, as much as possible. Yeah, I see that the, the stadium opened in 1994. So I guess this is the 40th anniversary, 40th, 30th, 30th anniversary um, yeah. of baseball at the wolf, which is, which is neat. That also means that you've kind of maxed out what the actual facility can do. It's not like you can build a whole new, you know, you can't expand really. Um, right. Right. And that, and that was, cause that was one of the options was, you know, you can, and other teams had to do this too, is, you know, you either just re refurbish the stadium or, or do the renovations that are needed. Um, but with us, that's just not really uh, much of an option, especially for the, for the price that it would take to, uh, to put in all those, all those, uh, to fit all those guidelines. And so, I think a new stadium is going to be awesome because the people, the people that do that do support the missions, I think they're going to really enjoy it. I mean, we're, we, we see generations of missions fans, which is kind of cool. You know, people that are bringing their kids out to the stadium now who say that when I was a kid, I chased the puffy taco and now my son gets to chase the puffy taco. And it's so that, that part's kind of cool. 
Dude, puppy taco rules. Rule I never get dude like I'm fifty-four years old and I still like watching him having the kid run around and he beats the kid till he gets around a third base and then he falls down and the kid steps on him and goes like this and then runs off like puppy oh, taco. Yeah. And there was a story a couple of years back how wasn't that wasn't it that costume like stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere or like <laughs> didn't you guys sort of there was sort of yeah I mean or that's a, a legend of, years, of Puffy Taco. <laughs> well, to my understanding, I know, I mean, a couple of years ago, you know, we, uh, Puffy Taco was on a little bit of a hiatus, you know, post, post COVID. Um, but we were, we were happy to have him back. Um, and I know the fans, the fans are happy to have him back and, and Bala Pena and Mama Pena. It's a whole, whole little, uh, whole little family there at, at the Wolf. Nice. All right. So you guys had a big year this year. There was a new coaching staff. You guys went deep in the playoffs. Um, you had this crazy stream of top prospects come, come flowing up through your, yeah. your clubhouse. Uh, can you kind of just take us through what this whole season was like? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for me personally, last year, last year was awesome. Cause you know, with, with not, with not having a PR background. Um, and then when I was hired in 21, I didn't really have, you know, I had to, had to cram an entire off season's worth of work into pretty much a month. Um, with the season starting a month after, after I was hired. So the first year was, was really tough for me. The second, uh, the 22 season was a lot of trying to, you know, um, trying to like polish my, my skills a little bit. And then last year was the first year that I really felt ready to go comfortable, like let's go. Um, and sure enough, yeah, like Luke Mons was amazing. The entire coaching staff, you know, no, nothing against the other coaching staffs that we had. You know, Wellman's amazing, but they were two different, completely two different people, you know, uh, between Wellman and uh, and Luke. But Luke was Luke was terrific. Uh, the entire coaching staff, um, and then all the players too. I mean, they were they were super easy easy people to work with. And then um, and then yeah, I mean, selfishly as a baseball fan. Um, you know, it was fun to see all, all these top prospects coming in and we were able to clin clinch the playoffs again in the first half, like we did in 22, uh, which is kind of nice to know that already, you know, throughout the second half of the season that we have, we have playoffs to look forward to. Of course, um, we wish things would have ended a little bit differently um, than, than losing to Amarillo, but, but really, I mean, seeing Jackson Merrill come through, seeing Robbie Snelling, seeing Ethan Solace, make it, make it through uh, the rise of Ripken Reyes, um, just a lot of that. A lot of that stuff was uh, was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, huge. Um, God, I was I lost in thought. I had so many, more, so many more questions. <laughs> we can do a whole podcast episode on Welly, on what you know. <laughs> some of the some of the stories I, I've heard uh, about him are just God. What a legend! What a, what a great guy! And, and you know, isn't I he from, isn't he great? <laughs> well, it's just one of those guys from from looking outside. Like you need that guy in Double A to like. Like this, that ain't gonna work, son. That ain't gonna work, son. You know that's not gonna get it done. Like you need to get it done, um, and just tell it like it is. But also, I can see where someone like Luke Mons, um, which once again, this is just my perception. Um, it, it just folksy, really good to know. Like, like you know, someone that you can really trust in, uh, in kind of a different way than like the experience that you have with a Wellman. Um, that's just kind of my perception. But I always try to judge how the coach would be in every level and how that kind of helps the player develop. Yeah. And, and Luke, Luke having been there too, you know, getting, getting a couple cups of coffee in the big leagues, you know, playing, playing in the, you know, 
for about 13, 14 years in major and minor league baseball. Um, and he's still relatively young too. Yeah. You know, I think he was only like 45, maybe. Um, Jeff Andrews, I feel like almost served as kind of that Wellman type though, with him being around for a lot longer, having, having seen a lot more, you know, it seemed like um, their dynamic was pretty good of Luke being kind of more laid back and relaxed and Jeff Andrews having been kind of the, the wily vet uh, of the coaching staff. Well, I want to give a shout out to Raul Padron. I know he yeah. graduated up to AAA this last year, but we've talked to him a few times. We're the nicest guys around. But I want to ask you about Pat O'Sullivan. He was yeah. just uh, promoted up to the Padres. He's going to be one of the assistant hitting coaches, I think. Um, what can you – so Pat O'Sullivan was in San Antonio for, what, four or five years now, right? Uh, well, he was with – last year was his first year with, with us. Um Okay, but six was, years with the was, Padres. There we go. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he was in the organization. Every, everybody on our staff last year was was um, new to the missions, to my understanding, except for well, Felipe Blanco had played for us, and then as a coach, it was his first time. But no, Pat was Pat was amazing. And then when um, him being from Chicago too, you know, if I was uh, if I walked around wearing like a Blackhawk shirt or like a Bear shirt, he would immediately just felt like he wanted uh, it seemed like he wanted to just embrace me immediately um you know or the one day yeah i was wearing a wearing a blackhawk shirt just walking around the front office didn't think anything of it and he was just like go hawks I'm like, all right <laughs> so he was so pat pat was awesome especially like whenever things were going well he was always just uh just a uh, not it didn't seem to me like he was the most like talkative coach ever um and maybe things were different obviously you know I, i'm not there all the time but it just seemed like he was always a nice, uh, nice spirit, you know, just always just kind of that rah, rah kind of, kind of guy, but I'm happy for him. That was, that was really cool to, to see that, especially with him just being here last year and getting that, getting that promotion. Absolutely. So let's get into a couple of the players. If you don't mind, uh, you know, Ryan Berger, uh, is a name I think listeners need to know more about. Um, he was consistent all year. Every time I saw his starts, he, uh, you know, he was nailing it down. He was also chosen as, um, as the organization's MLB pipeline to have a breakout twenty-four season. Um, how did you know? How did you see his season go? Yeah, I mean, Berger, Berger was one of those guys where I feel like, I feel like he, he's one of those guys where command kind of overpowers like the stuff. You know, not not that he doesn't have good good pitches or anything, but I feel like, I feel like sometimes having better command can be just as effective as, as the stuff you have, you know, he's, he's not going to light it up. He's not going to light the radar gun up, but he's going to attack the strike zone and keep the hitters off balance. You know, he's got a nice, easy, easy rot uh, rotation um, and motion that's repeatable. And it just seemed like whenever he got in a groove, it was just hard to, hard to hit him. And I think that's sometimes what you see in the big leagues too. The guys that, that aren't lighting up the radar gun, they just find that groove and then it's, it's impossible to, yeah. to touch him. And he had that, he had that stretch where he had, I think three straight quality starts for us. And like the end of, it's like the end of August, he had three straight um, quality starts and um, just, uh, yeah, I'm ha happy for him too. And I think, I think a 24 season um, with the pitching staff that we might have, um, you know, I think, I think more reps for him for sure will be, will be good. And, um, and him being teammates with Jackson Wolf in college probably helps a little bit too. So I'm excited to see what, what he can do. 
Well, that, that yeah, so Jackson Wolf, yeah, he's a friend of the podcast. We talked to him and we had a great interview with him and we had so much fun just following his story. We would howl every time we'd bring his yeah. name up. Um, so it, it, we were so excited. We got the call up and then our hearts were broken a little bit to see him <laughs> traded away to Pittsburgh, yeah. uh, where <laughs> he's going to go on to better opportunities, I'm sure. Uh, but oh, what a season Jackson Wolf had for you guys before he left, before he got called up and left. Um, yeah. So how was it covering him? Yeah, it isn't isn't Jackson Wolf like the nicest guy in the world too? <laughs> oh yeah, such a good guy. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was one of the easiest players in the in the three years that I've been in my in my role with the missions. He's probably the one of the easiest players that I've had to deal with 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 media and especially with him being somewhat of a of a higher prospect. You know, he he was never like a top ten guy or anything, but he was still a big enough name where. Where I tried to get him out there as much as possible, and he he was terrific. Whether it was media day, doing a scrum, doing MLB stuff, whatever whatever he need, uh, whatever I needed, or whatever anybody needed, he was always always good. And and Jackson Wolf, I think, is the, is similar to to Ryan Berger too, where he's not gonna he's not gonna light up the light up the radar gun or anything, but he's he's got that funky arm slot, and there's there's a lot of body parts moving around, and um, I can see him having a, having a good career uh, even. He reminds me of like an old school kind of kind of pitcher, you know, like the the ones that are going to eat up innings, you know, keep you keep you around a three to four ERA, you know, hopefully yeah. lower than that. But I think he's just going to be one of those guys that just eat, eats up innings and is going to be around around for a while. And and with Pittsburgh too, it's a you know sometimes like with Jack Sawinski too, you know, yeah. sometimes you just need a need a new organization where you're going to have have room to room to thrive. It's been fun watching him too. We uh awesome, very old friend of the podcast. And when mm-hmm. he got called up, we texted him, dude, welcome aboard. <laughs> the like the three home run game where I you're a what the hell? Come on, man. Yeah. Um and he had got the walk off the walk off on Father's Day, I think, too. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so Adam Mazur is another guy that doesn't necessarily throw hard, but he's got a better strikeout rate than uh, than Ryan Berger. And he also had a pretty good year. What'd you see out of him? Yeah, I think I think with Mazur, the the fact that he didn't didn't play after he was drafted is, was probably what helped. I think a little bit, you know, give him give him a little bit of a breather, and um, and the fact that he started in in Fort Wayne, I think was I think was good, you know, to kind of work your way up a little bit. Um, I wonder a little bit if maybe if, if the trans transition from being a starter and then they, they tried him in the bullpen a little bit yeah. and then they brought him back to the rotation. I wonder if that maybe factored a little bit into some of his struggles that he had, but, but he's another guy, you know, just a nice, nice, uh, nice motion, very repeatable. And, and um, seems like a gamer too, you know, like just to, just to kind of grind, grind down and, and get some good at bats. And, and he's a guy, I think like, you know, once he, once he gets more, more, um, you know, more out there, you know, the, the 24 season, I think with him too, is going to be going to be crucial to get to, you know, hopefully, hopefully he can start with us. Same with, same with Ryan. Hopefully they can, they can start with us, put together, you know, whatever it is, 10, 10, 12 starts, hopefully they go well. And then, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can be at Petco before the, before the season ends. Right. That's the, that's the hope, right? <laughs> no, Jairo Hi- Uriarte is in that same kind of group and they yeah. did the same thing with him. We're starting and then they put him in the bullpen yeah. for a little bit. And then he went back to starting, but he didn't seem to miss a beat when they put him back in the rotation. Yeah, Hiro Hiro is definitely the um, the difference maker out of all of those players that we've talked about because putting him in the rotate uh, in the bullpen allows him to potentially throw upwards of 99, 100 miles an hour, and then he's got a nasty changeup, 
nasty breaking ball. Um, so he's someone where I think if they did want to transition him to a, to a bullpen piece, whether it's a middle reliever, whether it's, you know, a, one of those opener kind of deals. Um, I don't see that being a bad idea. I mean, obviously you want him to be a, a workhorse starter, you know, but um, with some of the bullpen needs that the Padres might have um, with, with some of the guys that they've brought in, I could see him potentially being, you know, a, a multi-inning guy to try to, to try to help things out uh, for the Padres, but, but watching him and, and especially doing research on, on him for the last couple of years and seeing his numbers, he was a guy I, I really didn't think was going to make it to, to San Antonio just based on, and that's where like sometimes the stats don't show everything, but right. you know, some of his numbers that he had put up in his career weren't all that uh, inspiring, but then he, he really found, found things in Fort Wayne and then, and then was really dominant for us at, at different times, you know, uh, down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Another friend of the podcast as well. We get him down there in a ball. We get everyone we can. <laughs> Jared Collar is another guy who's quietly, he's had a breakout season. Like, like I said, I watch just about every game, uh, several innings of just about every game, um, the whole season. And every time we're like, okay, call all right. Four or five innings, you know, <laughs> four hits and maybe one run and just, you know, but you don't see him on the prospect list. You don't see him, you know, hyped up as much as, as you're Snelling or other guys like that. Yeah. Uh, Jared kind of flew under the radar. It seemed like even as, as far as, um, you know, getting, getting out of Rutgers, he didn't get drafted, um, sign, you know, signed, signed a minor league deal. And, um, and then, yeah, he's just a, he's just a gamer too. And then Jared, Jared's kind of funny because he's really not, not the most outgoing outgoing person in the world, but there was this weird social media thing that we had where uh, Jared got called up before Nathan Martorella did. And there was a video that Fort Wayne had done with the players calling out who they thought had the worst fashion. And he had called out Jared Kolar. And so before we even, before Nathan even got to us in San Antonio, we had already been kind of razzing him on, on social media, trying to be, trying to send him pictures of Jared saying, you know, do you approve this fit? Like, because Jared's not the most outgoing person. He's not, he's not, not the flashiest dresser. So, so that was kind of fun, but, but yeah, no, Jared, Jared's another one of those guys I can see just being, being another workhorse starter, you know, he didn't, he didn't strike out a lot of guys when he, when he played for us. Um, you know, I, I imagine he's going to start with us again in double a um, is what I would imagine. But the tricky thing is going to be, you know, with a guy like him, a guy like Adam um, is we're going to have a like on paper, at least we should have a pretty stacked um, rotation. And so Stack. I don't know, I don't know where some of these guys are going to fit in. Um if it if it's going to be a five six man rotation, if if these guys are going to be bullpen guys or what, because I wonder if Jared might might be a transitional bullpen guy, maybe you know just or at least in the time being, while you know you have guys like Snelling, Drew Thorpe, uh, Ryan Berger, that could potentially be the front line starters on the team. Boy, Snelling sure showed up as as advertised, yeah. huh? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he made the right choice in not, not playing football. I think that's, I think that's for sure. I'd say so. I, so we talked to him, we were both surprised by just how, uh, how just like calm and mature and kind of confident in himself that he is at his age, uh, you know, with the success that he had in low a and then high a, and then moving up to double a, it seems like he just kind of has the process, the game day kind of atmosphere, the attitude that he brings uh, where yeah. success, he just kept on rolling when he got to double A. 
Yeah, it seems like it seems like some guys just get it, right? You know, like like I feel like Jackson Wolf just gets it. You know, he understands talking to media, building a brand, stuff like that, and then going out there and pitching seven dominant innings. I feel like Robbie Snelling is that is the exact same guy. I was pleasantly surprised at how great he was to to talk to, how great he yeah. was with media. Um, at 19 years old, it was it was crazy to me. And then and then he's a he's an imposing guy too. He's uh, especially on the mound. He's he's a big guy um, to be to be facing. And um, but yeah, seeing seeing the stuff he was able to do, and even um, that dominating start. I think he I think it was in Am- Amarillo. Amarillo, Five innings, I think when he, no hit. Yeah, when he the, the yeah like and Amarillo is not an easy park to right. a lot of a lot of the parks in the Texas <clears> League are not not easy to uh, to pitch in. Um, we're pretty much the only only ones that benefit from from being having a pitcher friendly ballpark. So for him at that age in just his you know second or third double A start to to put a stat line like that together was was crazy. And I think I think he's going to be an exciting player you know to see in spring hopefully and then. Yeah to see what he can do in those first couple months with, with, with us here in, in San Antonio. I, I'm betting that he's going to be back. I don't know that for sure. Um, obviously, it's all speculation, but it'd be nice to have him uh, him starting that opening weekend in Amarillo. Yeah, I mean, I just you can't go like, – you guys are just going to be stacked. Like, what are, like, what are they going to do? They're not going to bring some of those guys like Iriarte or even Berger. They're not going to start in high A. Like, and, right. Maybe not, and I don't know. I think sometimes the Padres are very smart when they don't put guys in 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 the Pacific Coast League. I don't, you know, you saw what happened to guys like Mackenzie Gore, um, where it's just the Pacific Coast League is like pitching on the moon, and that yeah. that mixture it can of, be tough of four A guys that just know how to hit and ballparks that are just like you just hit the ball and you hit it five hundred feet, um, right? And it really it is going to be absolutely incredible. Uh, to see that rotation, and I'm gonna have to carve up some special time to just watch most of those games. I, 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 <laughs> That's right. So let's get on to uh, let's get on some of the position players. We do, once again, Jeremy, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, we have a, of a, course. A bunch of the position guys that we want to talk about. Um, they're all most of them are all friends of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> most of them are friends of the podcast. Starting with you know Jackson Merrill. You know, a, a, as a natural leader, I, I've seen him in, in Lake Elsinore. Watching him uh, perform in in Fort Wayne, going up to Double A is a little bit different. Did uh, you know? Did he embrace the role as a leader on the Double A team, and did the team kind of um, embrace him? Yeah, it's it seemed like it. I mean, when when he came up, you know, we kind of had the luxury of of having Chandler Siegel hanging around. You know, we had we had Ripken Reyes that had been in the system for a little bit, and and being a coach is something that he wants to do in the future. So so he was kind of one of those leaders as well, but, but Jackson was a bit, was, you know, a nice, nice spark of energy uh, for sure. You know, when, when we got him, I think it was, was the same time that we got uh, Castagnon and um, I think Kolar and I'm trying to remember who else from Fort Wayne, but it was a, it was a big group of them that came up from Fort Wayne. I think Valenzuela came up at the same time. So I think, I think part of that was helpful for him that he, it wasn't just, you know, him coming up to a brand new team, but he at least had some of his buddies hanging around, but, but yeah, seeing him on the field was definitely something something new for me. I hadn't seen someone like him since since probably CJ Abrams, you know, in, in 21. Just just how smooth he is, how he makes everything look so easy, <laughs> and then um, smooth power stroke, and then and then his uh, his energy too. You know, lay, laying out a triple or or um, hitting an RBI, just anything like that. He was always ready to 
to hype people up. And then, and then for me and our, and our social media manager, he was always great just to, just to have around. He was a fun, funny guy, just naturally, naturally a nice dude. And um, whether he starts back with us in double a, you know, hopefully, hopefully he's in triple a, you know, knocking on the door of the other big leagues. But um, I think as long as he stays healthy, you know, that was the, that was the biggest problem for him. The first, the first couple of years was, was battling injuries. And, and you, you saw it last year, what he was able to do in a, in a relatively uh, full season. And, um, it'll just be interesting to see what the Padres decide to do with him. Cause I mean, they, they were working on him playing first base a little bit, second base playing the outfield a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they, where they find room for him. Yeah. I, I saw yeah, him. what stood out to me. <laughs> I, I saw him in the outfield. I thought he looked really good in the outfield. Hell I watched one, the one game I saw him play first base. I'm like, <laughs> It's kind of a natural there. Like, I mean, and that's yeah. what you want your shortstop to be like the best athlete to play all over the ballpark. And, you know, for, for, for my thinking, like if he's going to break uh, barring an injury, um, if he's going to break through in the major league roster, he's going to have to do outfield. He's going to, unless there's trades where, where there's room right. in the infield, like he's more than likely going to be put into the outfield. And that's not a bad thing. Like he's got the wheels. He can, you know, he can learn right. how to make the routes and all that stuff is, is comes easily with an athlete like that. Um, we're right. really stoked for him and, and we're really like really close with his with his mom and, and his dad too. They're really nice people. You know, yeah, we just were... saw a shortstop make a pretty good transition to right field last year. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you're gonna say about his family? Oh yeah, they, they came out to a lot of games uh when he when he was there. And yeah, they were they were real nice real nice people to deal with too. Always Always liked having them around, and uh, whenever the Reyes family came out too, Ripken Ripken's family came out quite often, and they were always they were always nice uh, nice supporters of us. You know, yeah, that's one thing about minor league baseball that you go out to the park and you can, I mean, not that you go out looking for people, but you you never know who you're going to run into, and there's a lot more just accessibility. People are open, and like because I I ran into the we were talking about Jack Sawinski. I ran into his family at uh, at Lake Elsinore, and you know, now we follow each other on Facebook, and we're we're <laughs> friends. You know, it's it's great. Yeah. You need to keep All right, bringing so, up Ripken Reyes real quick. Um, yeah, he's a guy that I missed in in Lake Elsinore. He wasn't there very long, and I didn't get a chance to interview him. But the coaches talked about him, about his yeah. leadership, and like the hardball, like a, like a almost like a Ty Wigginson kind of guy. It's like you call that kid hardball because he's dirty all the time and he plays hard. Yeah, Rip, Ripken is a guy. I feel like he. I feel like he's playing in the in the wrong decade because I feel like I feel like if he was playing in in the nineties, if he was playing in the early two thousands, right. he'd be he'd be a starter somewhere, batting batting leadoff or you know or batting ninth. Just he he'd he'd be an everyday player. I think if it was. If it was any time pre pre twenty ten, because he's he's a switch hitter, he doesn't strike out very much from either side. Puts the ball in play. He's he's an aggressive base runner, but he he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's not afraid to get on base. He's a career on base of like four twenty something. Um, but he you know, he's not afraid. He crowds the plate. Um, set the minor league uh, hit by pitch record last year, which was which was nuts. Um, not as glorified of a record as I thought, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to hype, I was trying to hype that up to people like, Hey, he's on the verge of breaking a record. Is it, is it in the fifties? Uh, he ended up at 49, I believe. Okay. Cause I, Car I, I, Carlos, I Carlos Quentin had the record. It was like, he had like 47, I think. Um, okay. So how does he get hit by the, cause Carlos Quentin would stand on top on of home plate. plate, like his elbow yeah. was in the middle of the strike zone. I can't imagine that Ripken Reyes is like that. No, he's 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 right on there. 
Yeah, from both sides. He stand he stands right on there and he he doesn't move. <laughs> that ball that ball's and, coming in. Dude, and I saw him steal a ton of bags last year. Like he stole a yeah. lot. I don't know if he just had the natural green light or what, but he was, I mean, there were times when we were up in the press box looking at the leads he was taking and we were hands on our face. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, are they going to do something? Um, But I think with all the, with all the pickoff restrictions and the bigger bases and stuff like that, I think he, I think he just had the green light to go whenever he wanted. And, and sure enough, he put together a a a pretty, a quiet breakout year. I mean, cause he didn't, he didn't have the power numbers. He wasn't, wasn't like that, but but to have that on base percentage for a guy like of his size and and what he does, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping the Padres give him give him a shot at least at some point. Whether it's whether it's the Chandler Siegel treatment of yeah. hey you've been with the organization long enough we like you you know here's here's a cup of coffee or you know in, in the other sense hopefully he plays well enough um, you know that they that they can find use for him somewhere. Yeah, you know, the the way you were describing everything that he does, it sounds a lot like Matthew Batten. And he was somebody that right. we followed for uh, the last few years. And we're like, this guy just, he does everything well. He plays all over the place, shortstop, first base, left field, whatever you need. Uh, and it sounds like Ripping's kind of cut from the same cloth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when he when he first came to play for us in, in 2022, um, they moved him to the outfield. And he had like never, it seemed like he had never played the outfield before, at least according to, you know, the, the stats and everything. But then he led our team in outfield assists. For, for being a, a converted infielder, um, and his throws were just always perfect, just right on the money. And and yeah, we uh, well he played him at first base a couple times. He played third. He played played second. Played short. Bat, bats in almost every every spot. Um, he bought our front office donuts a couple times because he 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 said he wanted to support us. Like he is just all wow. around great dude. You know, whenever we did stuff with little leagues, you know, he was always volunteering to, to help out in the community whenever, whenever needed. Um, you know, just, just a really good dude. You know, nice. named after, if you give me named after the Iron Man, you better be a good dude, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So earlier you mentioned the uh, Castagnon and Valenzuela and those guys come up, you had another wave come up later in the season. Uh, Martarella, Polly, and Marcy. Those three guys seem to travel in, in a pack. Um, right. and they showed up and just did damage there. How fun was that? Yeah, no, it was uh yeah, it was awesome. And and like I said, as a as a diehard baseball fan myself, it the, one of the fun things is is seeing everybody come through and um and try to try to make an impact. And and all three of them really made impacts in, in kind of different ways. You know, Graham Graham Pauly was definitely the more impactful of the three with with his power and with playing multiple positions and and being that top of the lineup guy who's who's knocking down the door of of cracking the big league team you know this year Martarella was kind of more the more the leader you know your your natural first baseman you know get get on base um, I think his power is going to come in in San Antonio because um, that's part of the issue with where we play is that it's not hitter friendly um, so I think some of the some of the balls that he that he's used to seeing fly out are are fly balls in San Antonio so I think. I think he'll have a nice bounce back year. And then, and then Jacob Marcy, I mean, he, he kind of was right in the middle, you know, not, not as impactful as Paulie, but definitely was, was doing his thing, getting on base at the top of the order and then seeing what he did in Arizona, um, yeah. you know, now, and now seeing his name being floated around as a potential, you know, Padres bench option this, this year is, and they're all really nice dudes, especially, you know, like Graham, Graham was awesome. You know, Nathan was awesome. 
uh, Jacob, they like all the guys that came up last year. And, and not that any of the players are ever like, you know, jerks or anything, but, right. but some guys, some guys are just more friendly than others or more easygoing than others. And, you know, naturally. And, um, but all those guys that, that first wave with Merrill and Castagnon, the second wave with, with Martorella and Paulie and those guys, they were all just super awesome to be around. And, you know, whether, whether they stay with us again in, in double A or if they, they make it up to triple A or, or hopefully the bigs, you know, we're, we're happy for them regardless. Did, did you see it reflected in the stands that the team was doing well and you got these young, exciting guys? Did you feel like there were more people coming out to the ballpark late in the summer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that definitely helped. I mean, the interesting thing about like where we're at is, um, you know, they wins and losses don't seem to necessarily matter all the time. Um, just because this isn't San Antonio is not a super diehard baseball city. Um, but when the fans do come out and the team is doing well, they they get into it, especially you know when, when we have our flying chocolate nights, whenever we have yeah. a nice nice promotion, you know when when we fill the wolf, you know they they really do get into it. And then and then you add players like like Castagnon, who's a spark plug. When you add Merrill, when you add Pauly, uh, when you add those guys on top of it, you know hitting doubles, hitting homers, you know making things fun. Um, that atmosphere at the wolf can be can be pretty top notch. Dude, I love the fly. So, right, the first year you guys had the fly and chanclas, uh, we had Comic Con here, and okay. someone went as the with the flying chancla. <laughs> he went as the flying chancla, and I was like, "Holy cow, that's so that's so rad!" Um, yeah. You you, you guys do on field promotions with it? Do you guys do like a chancla toss or anything like that? Uh, right. Um. Well, we have our we have our Mama Peno mascot who serves as like the representative of, uh, of the flying chanclas. And so every Thursday home game, we incorporate her into everything with the mascots. So she's always throwing, throwing chanclas at people and different stuff like that. We, we did two years ago, I actually have, have them right here actually, but we did a, uh, we did a flying chancla giveaway, uh, two years ago. To try to, oh, those to are nice. Out. Yeah. The, the quality of them is, isn't terrible. You know, for, so for the for people on the audio feed, these are this is an actual pair of flip flops you could wear. Uh, right. You know, foam foam sole with the plastic. Uh, I guess you call that the thong, the thing that goes between your toes. Yeah. A little hard rubber, you know, a little hard rubber. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, wear it down to the beach, wear it in the shower. Yeah, these things and these things took for like we went through hell and back to get these things delivered. We were we were they were almost the cursed giveaway item because we. We had to change the promotional date like three times. Oh wow! Uh, just to finally get the get these things out. And then I think the one day we were supposed to give them out was when um, one of the games got canceled because of because of COVID. And so they, so we were supposed to we were supposed to release these in like May of twenty two, and then it turned out being like August was when we finally finally gave them out. Okay, so those just, look like functional chanclas that you can wear, but how how well do they fly? Oh, they fly pretty good. Yeah. No, uh, th thankfully, I haven't had to. I haven't had to uh, witness it myself. But, but uh, that was one of the first things we did in the office when these things came in. That's for sure. Was test out their their uh, fly flying abilities. Because we, we mentioned right? we mentioned the death to disco night in Chicago. That's what I in my mind. I've got. I see that old clip of all the records being thrown from the stands. Just the chaos. <laughs> I yeah. did you were you guys worried at all that flying chocolate night might become literally flying chocolate night? night? No, I think I think that's what we were hoping for was <laughs> was to have some sort of crazy crazy ending and <laughs> just throw throw a throw the chocolas on the field. I think that's what and we here, were 
Oh, my God. Walk-off home run. He's crossing the plate. He's getting showered with chonclas. Oh, my God. That would put you on SportsCenter for sure. That's what what I was hoping for. I think think the game ops, the game operations and the maintenance staff, you know, the groundskeepers, I think they were happy that that they stayed in the seats. As a PR guy, I was like, this would be amazing if that happened. So you mentioned Marcus Castagnon. I uh, when we talked to him, I was amazed on how now out of all the guys that I've talked to, he talked so much more about the science of hitting and, and the science of picking up where the ball is, the spin, the 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 arc of the ball, and just I was like, it's like a clinic. It was it just I couldn't believe how how much he knew about hitting and now and how much he could he can like that could be another way he can be a coach. He just he can kind of talk about that and make it sound like it's not rocket science. Yeah, no, he's a, uh, yeah, he was, he was fun to watch for sure. Uh, Castagnon and his, um, my like little player comp to him was, uh, was Pedroia with him not being, not being the biggest guy in the world, but he's going to get the most out of every, every at bat for sure. And he's also the first person I've ever seen um, get ejected after drawing a walk. So that was, that was entertaining. <laughs> Okay, you got to tell us that story. What yeah, exactly what happened? It was a uh, I think it was like a three one count, if I remember right. It was like a three one count, and he thought it was ball four. It wasn't ball four, so they called called strike two. He kind of had some words. You could you could see it from the press box, and then after he draws ball four, as he's going down to take his shin guard off, uh, they they rung rung him. Right, he said something. And, <laughs> yeah, and. Knowing him, you know he's not—he's—he's uh, he's, uh, not shy to, to speak his mind, and um, but I think every team needs that. I think yeah. you know, I think he think he fits in in that way, and um, but that just that cracked us up in the press box. Like how, how like usually you're getting tossed because of because of a strikeout or something, but drew a walk and got got tossed. So that was that was interesting. <laughs> you know, okay. So last year was like the most disappointing season in Padres history. And I, I'm a season ticket holder. We, we live and die with the Padres here. And so watching that team with all those stars struggle, 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 and kind of play flat the whole season. And then late in the season, these guys came up from AAA guys like, like Matthew Batten and, and Jose Zocar, Chandler Siegel played the one game, but you get these guys that are hungry and they've, you know, there's this, this passion, this intensity that comes with that being on the way up rather than being an established player. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that kind of that, having that fire in your belly. It sounds like Marcos definitely has that. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. I think, and I imagine with him too, and same with Paulie is I think, and Marcy is I think they might have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder too, being kind of late, later round draft picks, you know, not being, not really being thought of too highly. And and that's the beautiful thing about baseball and, and with most sports is that it doesn't, you don't have to be a first round pick to, to potentially make, make an impact. And, and certainly with baseball, like, it seems like most of the time, you know, you look back at some of those drafts, that's one of the my favorite things to do in the, in the front, in the office all the time is look back at old drafts and just see all the, all the people, you know, you go through the names and it's like, man, that guy didn't do anything. And then you, you look at guys like Piazza, Mark Burley, you know, guys that, that were late round draft picks afterthoughts and they turn in terrific careers. And I think, I think some of those guys, I think, I think the Padres scouting department and front office have been doing a pretty darn good job at finding finding some of these guys in the in the later rounds that, um, especially out of college, that that uh, just seem to get it. Yeah, 
you know, people, they, they want to know about the superstars they want to know about, but we like hearing about the people that are the, you know, the lesser, you know, the, the people that are grinding away. So like Chandler Siegel, we had a chance to talk to him last off season and great conversation we had, and then watching him come up, um, Brandon Valenzuela. So you had a couple of really good catchers there this year. Um, can you, it sounds like Brandon Valenzuela does a lot of work with the pitchers. It sounds like he doesn't get enough credit for the work that he puts in with the pitching staff. Yeah, it was a it was a shame that 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 Valley got um, you know got got banged up a little bit and couldn't uh, couldn't finish the season in San Antonio because because uh, yeah it seemed like you know by by the time that he came up we we had already had some some of the Fort Wayne pitchers um, so he had already gotten to know those guys it was just a yeah. matter of getting to know getting to know our guys but uh, but yeah really our our ke- our group of catchers last year it was it was kind of a blessing I feel like especially to have to have Luke Montz at the helm of that. Um, being a former catcher himself. And then Michael De La Cruz was a great addition to the Padres organization. He was a great guy to be around and then put together a pretty solid, solid season as well. Juan Zabala is a perfect, you know, utility yeah. catcher. Um, and then, and then the big prospects, you know, Valenzuela at when he's healthy, he's, he's a force, you know, behind the plate and, and at the plate. Um, and I think once he, once he gets, gets another full season under, under his belt, I think he'll be, I think he'll be solid, and then, and then of course all of them uh, nurturing, nurturing Ethan. <clears throat> Sorry, I got something in my my throat there. So you'll probably be be happy to hear that Michael De La Cruz. He was obviously a, a one year uh, minor league free agent last year. He signed again with the Padres this year, um, and then we also noticed that so Chandler Siegel was released after the season. Kind of wasn't a surprise that he, they wanted to get him off the forty man roster one way or the other. But mm-hmm. he was signed to a minor league, uh, a minor league contract as well. So you'll probably have one or both of those guys back in San Antonio this year. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, obviously we hope and I hope that they don't come back to San Antonio, right. you know, in the in the nicest way possible. But the way the catching situation is with the Padres organization, it is kind of it is kind of in a weird weird place right now. And a and a guy like De La Cruz, if he I mean, he's he's kind of one injury away, and if he's if he's hitting again in in El Paso, I mean, he I wouldn't be surprised if if they need his help at some point, or even if they they bring Chandler back up just as a as a as a nice backup backup catcher because yeah. I feel like nobody nobody runs a pitching staff I feel like as well as as well as he does that's for that's for sure. Absolutely. All right, so let's kind of one more here. Um, Homer Bush. This was this was this was your fault in bringing up and bringing a kid who wanted to be a broadcaster on the on the show. Is I, I like to talk. That's for dude. That's what we. Sure. That's what we're here for. Um, Homer Bush Jr. Um, came up for. I mean, if you want to talk about a cup of coffee, I think he played seven games, but he hit like four thirty. Like the guy, every time he was just there's another double. God, the kid just hit. Um, how was that kind of fun to see? Yeah, Homer. Yeah, Homer was was definitely an exciting piece to the missions puzzle at the end of the season. I think, I think if it wasn't for us going to the postseason, I'm not sure if maybe he even would have, would have came up with, right. uh, with us, but, but with his, with the speed he possessed, uh, I think, I think it was crucial to, to have him be a part of the team. And, and sure enough, he, he homered in that first playoff game in, in Amarillo, but yeah, that, that stretch he had the, those eight games and even to finish it off with a four hit game in the, yeah. in the season finale was was impressive. And, and then he's a guy that I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they, where the Padres start him next year. Cause I think, you know, on, on paper, you'd imagine 
the, the pod, uh, our outfield would include Marcy and um, Corey Howell. You know, there's, there's yeah. kind of some, there's not so much room in the outfield if, if everything goes that way. Um, so I, I imagine Homer would benefit a little bit more in spending some time in Fort Wayne and then, you know, get that, get that midseason call up back to, back to San Antonio. But with the, uh, with the Padres, every you know, nothing, uh, nothing's off the table. But right. he was certainly fun to watch, and um, and with his pedigree, you know, uh, with his dad playing for as long as he did, you know, I think it, I think it shows in in him, and and the success that some of these college kids are having too. I think, I think, uh, kind of goes under the radar too. And and you draft a college guy, and he can be ready in in a year right. <laughs> instead, right. of, instead of waiting on a high school kid. Absolutely. I missed the mute button there. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, so the Padres, they they have one outfielder on their roster right now, but there's a lot of depth in the outfield in the minors. Um, so one last thing before we let you go, and this happened way before you were a part of the San Antonio Missions, but today was Hall of Fame Announcement Day, and yeah. one-time San Antonio Mission, Adrian Beltre, was elected to the Hall of Fame. So on behalf of the San Antonio Missions, congratulations. Right. That's right. That's that's number 10 for the for the Missions. Uh, wow that's back in 1998 that's right yeah we were we were looking up his stats today too that he played in 64 games that year and batted 321 or 312 i might have the numbers mixed up but 321 hit 13 home runs 21 doubles i pulled it up right here 992 ops pretty good for a a 19 year old in double (laughs) a Yeah, and I called. I called my dags. I saw the. I saw the notification on my on my phone as I was as I was driving home, and I and I called him because I said it's kind of interesting now that that my generation of of players are starting to get elected to the hall now with with Joe Maurer and Todd Helton yeah. and Adrian Beltre. I'm like, I remember these. I remember watching these guys play. Yeah, well, I'm over here holding up hope that uh, Fernando Rodney somehow gets picked up again because I'm 45, 44, about to turn 45. And so I'm, I'm, there's nobody left in the league that's older than me. And that, that hurts. But well, remember, uh, if, remember, remember the Joe Bimo experience a couple years ago. So it's not, yeah, uh, it's not unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey Jeremy, we, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, your debut was yeah. fantastic. Um, we hope yeah. to have you on in the future as, um, as let me know. Players, yeah. As more players, uh, rifle through uh san antonio and we just can't thank you enough yeah of course anytime anytime you guys want me on i'll be happy to happy to come on and and whenever you guys want to come to san antonio just let me know 